Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge Podcast. The Fatherhood Challenge is a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere to take great pride in their role and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability of an environment and culture. We're going to encourage and challenge each other to step up and do courageous things that make our families and communities better places. So let's get to it. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, it's good to have you here. This is going to be a really awesome episode. I've got with me Mike Schrock. Mike Schrock has has an extensive background in dealing with type 1 diabetes, type kids with type 1 diabetes specifically. Um, he also ran an organization called JDRF, which stands for Junior Diabetes Research Fund, and quite an extensive background there. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, introduce you to uh, Mike and let him go ahead and tell you the rest from there. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, quite the quite the build up there for for a little old me. But uh, as you said, my name is Mike Schrock. I am 44 years old. I live in Urbana, Iowa. I've been married for 20 years to my wonderful wife Heather. And I have two daughters, uh, one that is 18 years old and is a freshman in college, and then one that we'll probably spend most of our time talking about today, and that is my 16-year-old, who is the type 1 diabetic, who is a junior at Center Point Urbana High School. So the first thing that comes through my mind, um, it's, it's one that I think, um, I, I remember having these same thoughts when I discovered for the first time that I was going to be a father. Um, and that is just this sheer feeling of what am I doing? And then this whole idea of a panic where I feel like I don't know what I'm doing and then trying to reconcile that and figure out, well, how do I, how do I prepare myself for this? What was, what was walking through your mind? I mean, how did you feel that moment that you learned that you were going to be a dad for the first time? Uh, well, I think, uh, for me, it was a roller coaster of emotions. Um, you know, uh, my wife and I had talked about uh, or had made plans to have children. So the, the fact when we actually found out that we were pregnant with our first child was uh, exciting. Um, you know, really excited, wanted to tell family, friends, things like that. Um, but then about 48 hours later, the reality of the whole situation kind of set in. And it was like, am I prepared? Am I prepared to bring a life into this world and care for it? You know, am I um, experienced enough? Do I know all the tricks of the trade? Uh, do I have uh, the training? You know, have I read all the books? You know, things like that. And uh, so there was a little bit of panic there um, mixed in with the excitement. And, you know, I think throughout the nine months, uh, that we were pregnant with my first child, it, it just kind of veered back and forth. I was excited, but then I would kind of overthink it and get really, really nervous. Um, I remember prior to her having the baby, the, the, the couple weeks uh, before having our first child, um, I started to get really nervous. Um, just knowing, again, that I was going to have to care for this small child. And I you know, don't have any experience doing this, you know, and, and what if I fail or what if I'm not good enough and things like that. So 
for me to kind of sum it up, it was just, I was all over the place. I was an emotional wreck. Was it hard for you to adjust to that, that role just of realizing it's that word that from now on you are referred to as dad or father? How did you, how did you adapt to that reality? Uh, You know, for me and what I tell a lot of people um, based on my own experiences is that um, really what it came down to was um, it's, it's fascinating how life works in the fact that, you know, you, you go through this nine months of uh, mixed emotions and anticipating things that may not come true, assuming, you know, this or that, or trying to kind of play out how you being a dad is going to be in your head. Um, all that gets kind of washed away that first time you hold your child in the hospital. And it's like, for, and I don't even know how to explain it. You just magically become dad. And you feel like you know what you're doing. There's a comfort in that. Like uh, for me having daughters, I felt like, okay, I can protect you. I can do this. And um, it just, for some reason, there was a sense of calmness about that first time meeting my daughter. And then, and then as you go through life, as your kids start to age and you go through the different stages of their life with them, what you find out is that um, you are at least what I have found out in my experiences is, is that I'm always going to be dad, but sometimes dad screws up. Um, sometimes dad uh, gets trumped by mom, uh, you, you know, but at the end of the day. Uh, you're still that guy that your kids refer to as dad and a real um, pivot point or a real solid piece of their life. So it's just, you know, I don't know how it happens. I I don't know that there's books or studies on, on how that happens. It's just a feeling and something that, you know, comes about the first time you hold your child. I think that's very, very true. I can relate to that a hundred percent. I think that exact moment where I held him for the first time and we had that gaze where he looked up at me and I I looked down at him and I was just holding him. Everything that I had been scared of, everything at that moment just melted away and and just something, something very unexplicable happened in that moment. So that, that makes perfect sense. Right. And it's almost like that look from your child, you know, looking right at you gives you like a sense of confirmation that, Hey, dad, things are going to be all right. Things are going to be cool. You know? And it's like I said, it's, it's like that child kind of giving you the, okay, here we go. This is going to be awesome. That's, that's awesome. Exactly. And then speaking of bonding moments too, I mean, do you have any other moments that come to your mind? Um, It may be something funny that happened. It might even be a, a funny joke that, the two of you share anything that is a, a really a, something that bonds bonds you two together. You know, there's, and I thought about this quite a bit. There's different moments um, in my life with my two girls, and um, what's fascinating about my two kids, and I'm sure it's true for many people that have uh, multiple children, is the relationship. Uh, that you have with each kid is different in a way. You know, the the love is the same. The wanting to protect and care is the same. But there's this little 
uh, nuance uh, of a relationship that you have with each kid that's different. Um, and for each of my kids, there's different moments throughout their lives where we've bonded because I've been um, in a position to kind of be that right person at the time. Um, you know, an example would be, and I know we'll talk more about it later here in the interview, is um, when my 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 now 16-year-old daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, uh, me also being a type 1 diabetic and living it, with it for a long time, that was something we were able to share because when she was having her tough times with diabetes, trying to explain that to her mom was trying to explain, um, you know, algebra to your dog. Um, because my wife and God love her soul just didn't understand what it's like to live with this complication in your life or that this complication at that point in her life. But with me, like I could say, I get it. Like I know exactly how you're feeling. And so with my youngest one, as, as sad as it is to say, we bond quite a bit with our common uh, disease, which is type one diabetes. What is, uh, what is type one diabetes for those that uh, you and I are very familiar with it, but there may be some who don't really know what that is. Right. And I, I will, I will uh, give you kind of the kindergarten version of it just because um, I'm a simple person myself and I know people appreciate simplicity, but it's basically when your pancreas in your body stops producing uh, insulin, which insulin is the, um, the chemical in your body that breaks down sugars, um, carbohydrates and so on and so forth to give your body energy. So your, your pancreas basically stops producing that. So as a type one diabetic, you have to provide that insulin into your body for any carbohydrates or sugars that you put in your, put into your body. So you have to kind of find that, um, equation. So you're putting in enough insulin to correctly break down the amount of sugars that are going in your going into your body so you can have energy to complete your day or do things like anybody else. What does that mean for a child that that has to live with this? Uh, you know what it really means for a child my 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 daughter was four when she was diagnosed um, and for a four year old um, you know giving shots or putting insulin into her body is, is a very scary thing. We all know kids don't like shots to begin with. Um, but basically, um, this means they have to mature really, really quickly. Um, and uh, they have to understand that they're not like everybody else in the fact that they have to do something a little extra um, to make sure that they stay healthy. Um, they can still play, they can still do sports, they can still do everything else that other kids can, but they have to give themselves a little extra care. And uh, for kids at a young age, uh, it's hard to comprehend that. It's hard to understand, like, why do I have to do this? You know, uh, and specifically when, when diabetes kind of kicks back at the kid, you know, for example, maybe too much insulin was given and a, and a child's blood sugar drops low and you have to correct that. That kid has to sit out of activities, um, which is hard to do as a, as a kid. And so for kids, they have to grow up quickly and really mature in the fact that um, 
their life from here on out is going to take a little extra care. Uh, and they have to learn how to do that so they can continue to live, be healthy and do things that other kids do. I think that's a, I think that's a great description of it. Um, one thing too, I might even add to that is that not only does the child have to mature, but in a sense, the parent has to mature as well. And whatever insecurities and, and, uh, just, um, feelings in any insecurity that you had as a father, the minute you find out that your life is about to change forever as a father, you have to grow up really, really fast. And that is a almost a terrifying feeling. It, at least it was for me. I still remember that moment that um, just before the diagnosis, the diagnosis when I was rushing him to the hospital um, to try to figure out what was going on with him. That just that lifeless look and, and feeling that he had was extremely terrifying. And then the diagnosis, and this is still a, a really hard, a, a very difficult one for me to swallow is hearing the diagnosis well, actually leading up to it. And, and they said, it's going to be one of two options. Either, either your son has type one diabetes or your son has leukemia. And this is where for me, the guilt, the guilt happens where I'm sitting there praying that it's leukemia because if it's leukemia, that can be fixed. If it's type one, it's a life sentence. Right. And that even to this day, I struggle with the fact that I had those thoughts, but I mean, what was it like for you when you just leading up to that moment? Well, you know, I will, uh, I'll actually just tell our story. Um, because I think that really, you know, I, I, I think people listening to this podcast will then, um, identify. And I, I think Jonathan, you can identify with this as well, but it was, it was March 10 or I'm sorry, May 10th, 2009. It was mother's day. And, um, I had decided to go on a trail walk with my, my neighbor and, uh, my wife and my two daughters uh, were just kind of playing outside in the yard. And because I have type 1 diabetes, um, I have all sorts of testing supplies and things like that just laying around the house. And a couple nights prior, we had noticed that my youngest daughter, um, whose name is Michaela, was starting to wet the bed again. Um, and this was, uh, we noticed this because, you know, we had just potty trained her and she had, you know, gone a long time without doing it, but we didn't think anything of it until we started to notice that she was drinking a lot of water, um, juice, things like that, and, and having to go to the bathroom a lot. And so I decided to go on this little trail walk with my neighbor and I probably wasn't a half an hour into the trail walk and my wife calls me and says, I just tested our blood, our daughter's blood sugar. Uh, it was over 300, three different times. I think we need to go in. And so I rushed home, uh, grabbed my daughter, and because her blood sugar was so high. And for those of you not familiar, your blood sugar for a normal person is usually between 80 and 100. Um, so 365 was about three times the normal uh, blood sugar that an average human being should have. 
And so going into the hospital, um, driving the half an hour to Cedar Rapids, I knew that my daughter had type 1 diabetes. It was just a matter of getting it confirmed from our doctor. And so I, uh, we pulled up to the emergency room. I grabbed my daughter and I was holding her in my arms. And I said to the receptionist, I said, uh, this is who we are. Um, my daughter has type 1 diabetes. We need to see a doctor. And I just remember that like it was yesterday because the guilt of being a dad that has type one, um, it's hard to, you know, regardless of what studies say about, um, you know, type one diabetes, um, having a genetic piece, which it's not supposed to be as high as, um, or wasn't believed to be as high as somebody with type two, but there was still a chance, um, just the idea of knowing that my daughter had picked up this chronic illness from me, I mean, just absolutely knocked me down. And I, you know, you know, we got my daughter in, she got put right away on, on an insulin drip because she was dehydrated at the time. Um, we spent our time in the hospital, uh, my wife did a lot of the diabetes education to, you know, get her kind of up to speed because, you know, again, with me as an adult with type one, I can take care of myself. But now um, my daughter was going to need the support from not only myself, but also from my wife. And so my wife was getting that education. And quite honestly, I was getting the education as well because, you know, not everyone with type one is the same. And my daughter and I definitely have our differences. Um, but fast forward to a week later and coming back home and I just went to this dark place. Um, I wasn't really talking with anybody um, kind of through this pity party. I really just went into a dark, ugly space and a lot of self blame. And, you know, I would, I, I spent a few nights, you know, getting teary eyed about the whole thing. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in prayer, um, you know, asking, you know, God, why, why would you do, why my kid, why us? And just a lot of asking why. And it wasn't until about two months later that I was in my garage and I was just tinkering around, tinkering around with something in the garage. And, uh, it was the only way that I could do something to kind of take my mind off everything. And my little daughter, four years old, comes out to the garage and she just asked me out of the blue. She's like, Dad, how did I get type 1 diabetes? And I'm like, okay, this is a four-year-old asking me how she got it. Like, I could go through wow. the whole, yeah, I could go through the whole, um, you know, Google explanation of how this happened and it, but she's not going to understand that. So I just, I took the easy way out and I said, you know what, you got it from me. And as I looked at her, like you could see the wheels turning in her eyes and what she said next forever has changed my life. And until this day has changed my life. And she said to me, dad, will there ever be a time when I don't have type one diabetes? And you know, at that point, as a father with your four-year-old saying, hey, dad, you know, am I ever not going to have this disease? I thought to myself really quick, well, 
again, I could take the easy road and say, well, yeah, yeah, you know, you know at, at some point you'll never have it, you know, and, and basically kind of tell her that white lie, you know, like we, like we tend to do with Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I figured, you know what, I'm going to, if I'm going to lie to my kids, I'm going to lie to my kids about that stuff. Um, so I'm just going to be honest. And so what he did is I said to my daughter, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to promise to you to, to try to do everything that I can to hopefully someday make you not have this. And that was the end of the conversation. And that conversation right there, um, you know, 12 years ago with a four-year-old in my garage has inspired me to this day to, in everything I do, like to just keep fighting, you know, and whether it's, uh, you know, something I'm doing for work, uh, you know, something I'm doing on a personal level, or in this case, if it's, if it's with diabetes and diabetes research and things like that, like you just have to keep fighting because those words that I told my daughter, like, I'm going to do everything I can, like as her dad, as somebody who um, has a responsibility of molding this young person into a great adult, like the worst thing that I could do is not model the behavior that I talk about. And so if I make a promise to my kid, I've got to follow through on that. And so from that conversation to this present day, I've always used that interaction to really motivate me in everything that I do. Every single one of the emotions, the roller coasters that you went through, the prayers asking God, why did this happen to my daughter? Every single one of those things, um, all of those quite tough questions I experienced, every single bit of it. So I can relate to it 100%. When you, um, when, when you made that promise to your daughter, did that at all connect with you? Was that a driving factor when you got involved with JDRF? How, how did that involvement happen? Yeah, so that was, uh, and that's, that's, a, that's a great question and a, um, kind of a, a great way to describe it, the driving factor, you know. So I made this promise to my daughter, like I was going to do everything I can. And so what it came down to was I had to evaluate the situation I was in and what I could do. Um, so I'm smart enough to know the things that I don't know. So I'm not going to build a scientific lab in my backyard and try to develop a cure for diabetes because A, I'm not smart enough to do that. And B, uh, that's just not going to work. So I had to really evaluate, like I had to, I had to put into action what I could. And so I had to figure out what is that action? Like, what can I do that will help drive me towards this promise that I made for my daughter? And uh, that's when JDRF got into our lives and they were talking about their organization and what they do and, and how they do it. But more importantly, I asked the question to JDRF, what can I do as, you know, your, your average dad of a type one diabetic to help further not only my promise, but the mission to cure type one diabetes in all kids and all adults. And that's when they gave me a list of options. You know, you could, you can be a a mentor to other families. You can participate in our walks, our rides, our galas, 
things like that, which means, you know, not only showing up and, and advocating, but also um, reaching out to friends and family and, and doing some fundraising. And so I chose what I felt I could do best. And that was advocating and fundraising. I'm like, well, I could do that. I've got plenty of friends that I feel confident will jump on board and, and do this. And so I, I found my path through JDRF by just kind of looking at all the things that I could do and picking the one that worked best for me. I think that's awesome. What was your source of strength and, and motivation that got you through the diagnosis and every other low point resulting from that diagnosis? Well, I think for me, it was coming home and looking at that four-year-old in the face every day, right? Um, you know, and, and I would ask myself, um, did I do everything I could today to help get her closer to not having type 1 diabetes anymore? You know, and and that was a question that in the beginning, I I asked myself quite a bit, like, have I, have I done everything? And, um, you know, I'll, I'll admit that uh, when we started with our fundraising uh, for JDRF, um, I, I went crazy. I mean, I, I talked about it with everyone that would listen to me, everywhere that they would listen to me, and just did everything that I could to try to not only spread awareness and advocate for type 1 diabetes research, but also to, to raise some money. And um, so my, my, my accountability was just looking at my kid in the face because at four, year old, at four years old, there's very little things that she could do. And so as a dad, I had to do that. I had to step into that role, whether I was tired from a full day of work, um, whether I wasn't feeling good or not, I had to step into it and do it because I made this promise to her and I had to hold myself accountable to that. I remember attending several of the events that, that you were responsible for coordinating and the feeling I remember having was a strong, overwhelming sense of community, that, just this feeling that I was not alone. I looked around me and I saw other dads there that were just like me, had similar stories, just like mine. And the feeling, that first moment of seeing that and making that observation, the next thing I felt after that was this internal feeling of, it's going to be okay. I'm, I'm not alone. I can do this. Right. What was your... Right. What would you say is your was your greatest moment as a parent overall? Um, yeah, it's uh, that's a that's a difficult question. Um, you know, I have a my eighteen year old daughter who's a freshman in college right now. Um, is just killing it right now. Um, she, you know, graduated National Honor Society. She's known she's wanted to be a nurse since the fourth grade. Uh, she's going to school for nursing. Um, she's she's chasing her dream of playing collegiate soccer right now and is doing that. Um, she just got her midterms back and she's getting all A's. And as a dad, I just I couldn't be any more proud of her drive, her maturity of just going and getting it. And and that's one example of the thing that I really appreciate 
the most about my kids is they just they just go and and get it they they get after it they they find something that they like and they they pour their heart and their passion into it and and i i really at the end of the day i hope that they've picked that up from the years that our family has spent uh participating in jdrf and and doing other causes that are near and dear to our heart but um you know, we just, I, I'm just so proud of the, the way that our kids continue to grow and love those around them and, um, you know, fight for their dreams and face life with the maturity that they do. Uh, it, it just, it, as a, as a dad, it makes me feel really, really good. I think if I had to sum sum up what I just heard, like your, your answer just now and sum it up in one word. Mm-hmm. I think that word for me would be overcoming. Oh, absolutely. Not just your kids, but, but you as their father, it's, it's overcoming. I think that's the word that, that comes to mind. Yeah. And I, I think that's an excellent word, Jonathan, you know, um, not only, um, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you, our, our family, in regards to health has been through the ringer. And one of the things that we wanted to make clear to our kids right away was, you know, it's okay to be mad about it, upset, disappointed, whatever. It's okay to have those emotions. But at the end of the day, man, you got to put your, you got to strap it, strap your boots on and you got to go to work and you've got to overcome these things. Um, not only the difficulties that uh, I've had in my 20 plus years of having type one diabetes, um, you know, I've, I've had some hardships and some, uh, some things that have set me back. Um, my wife has gone through a bout of uh, thyroid cancer and those were things that we had to work with. And just the day to day with my daughter and uh, her difficulties with, with type one diabetes, um, we've just had to become a family that, um, you know, regardless of how we're feeling, you still have to get up every morning and you got to do the work. And that's the only way you're going to be successful. Um, we could, we could very easily fall into this path of feeling bad for ourselves and looking to others to kind of, um, you know, uh, pick us up or, or, uh, save us from any, uh, pity party that we we may be having, but you know what we decided as a family unit, we're going to lean on each other and we're going to build our up, uh, build ourselves up strong enough to be able to, to, to withhold any, um, negative stuff and, and use it as a learning experience, learn from it. And uh, one of the one of the things that I like to say in our family is if we're going to fail, let's fail forward. Um, Let's learn from it and let's do everything we can to overcome. Well, I felt inspired by that. That's for sure. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, one of the things I, I wonder is I look at just society, the messages that are being told to dads just from the media, from the movies, pop culture, everywhere. And I think dads have enough of a challenge as it is and whatnot, but 
turning the spotlight back onto dads, what would you say is one of the greatest challenges that dads face today and how can they overcome it? You know, I think one of the one of the biggest challenges for dads is the stereotype that dads have to be this manly tough guy all the time, right? And um, you know, we 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 gravitate towards this role of being the protector. And when you do that, you feel as a dad that it may be um, jeopardizing your manhood, um, as I'm making air quotes right now, to actually feel emotion. And that's one of the things that I challenge dads to do is allow yourself to feel that emotion and not be ashamed of um feeling that emotion. Uh, it, it doesn't make you any less of a man. It doesn't make you any less of a protector. Um, it, 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 it just, I think what it really does is it reveals your true self to your kids. Um, you know, for example, I am a very emotional person when it comes to my kids and things that they do. Um, I can recall my my daughters taking dance lessons and their first recital just being so moved to actual, not actual tears, but I had that lump in my throat that you get before you cry of just overwhelming pride in how just amazed I was at them. And so with dads, you know, we, we tend to gravitate again towards this, I got to be macho. And, you know, I could have done the macho thing and sit there and, you know, at the end of it say, oh, good job, you know, dance. But, you know, what I, I felt that. And, and I wanted my girls to know that I felt, I, man, I felt I was connected to you in that one time that you were dancing on stage. And it may not have occurred to you, but in the audience, like there was a connection there and it made me feel. And so I talked to my girls about that and just said, you know, I really felt absolutely just proud, inspired by what you've done up there. Um, so if I was to talk about challenges, it's that it's overcoming this stereotype that the world gives us that all men need to be these burly, tough men with no feeling. And and I think that in the world today, we're starting to see more dads feel. And it makes me it makes me feel happy because I think it takes pressure off of the kids. Um, specifically, you know, as they're growing up, and it allows dads to have an even deeper relationship with their children as they're growing up. I agree a hundred percent. I mean I think the macho to me is showing up, being engaged and being involved. That is definitely a macho thing for fathers to do. And the emotional part of it, I felt those very same things that you, the very same emotions that you, you mentioned, I felt those very same emotions with my own kids, just seeing them excel at little things and even big events, seeing them do very, very well. You just, you do get this swelling bit of pride inside of you that you just, you just want to yell. You just want to do something to, to just let it out. Cause it's, it's, it's a big emotion. And I think showing and expressing that, I think just makes you real. 
And yeah. I don't think that there is enough of that today. Absolutely. So that's just my personal opinion. Do you have, um, I like to, I would like to wrap up with some kind of a overall challenge and this can be outside the whole type one discussion circle that we've had or inside if you want, but mainly I just would like to know, do you have any type of a challenge in this moment that you would like to extend out to all dads to challenge them? You know, that, uh, that's a great question. And, you know, I actually do. And, and I'm actually starting to see, you know, I'm going to put this challenge out there, although I'm actually starting to see more and more of it now um, these days than I did before. And that challenge is for all dads to just be present. And it sounds like a pretty generic and easy challenge, but, you know, you, you have to really dive into what does it mean to be present? You know, does that just mean, you know, sitting at dance recitals, sitting at ball games, you know, be, you know, sitting at the dinner table, just being there? No, it does. It, it goes further than that. Um, invest uh, your time into your kids by being there for them. When, for example, I have two daughters and um, we deal with the whole boyfriend stuff. Be there to listen. You know, sometimes they don't want advice. Um, a lot of the times my girls don't want advice from me. Um, but I'm there to listen. And I'm there to, um, you know, be that crying shoulder that they need. Uh, I'm also there to give advice if they ask. Um, I'm also there to offer a lot of advice that they don't ask for, um, which I think is a challenge of any parent. But being present in your kid's life, um, recognize that your kid is special, uh, that, that there is, uh, an opportunity for you as a dad to have a unique to you only relationship with this person that you gave life to and really embrace that opportunity. Don't, you know, don't be one of those dads that after your kid graduates high school and they go on to college or whatever it may be and move out, that you say, man, I wish I would have spent more time with them. Um, you know, and, and understand that as a dad, that there's going to be things that you don't necessarily want to do or you're going to be tired or um, whatever it may be. But if you do those things, yeah, it may be kind of a pain to you at the time, but it means the world to your kids. Um, I've shagged so many soccer balls in my yard after a full day of work that I didn't, I had no business being out there. I didn't want to be out there. I was tired, but I went out there and I shagged those balls. And I did it because I knew that my daughter had a dream to play college soccer. And, um, so I had to put myself aside and and be present for her to help her achieve her goal or or work towards her goal. And I just want to see more dads um, doing things like that, playing catch with um, their kids in the yard, or um, you know, taking them to a movie, take them out to dinner, um, or just play Barbies with them. You know, if you've got little ones sit down and play Barbies, you know, um, just little things like that, because 
as somebody who has older kids now, I can look back at the things that I did when I, when my kids were younger that I know that I didn't want to do. You know, times that I didn't go fishing when I wanted to go fishing by myself, but instead stayed home and pushed my daughter on the swings in our yard. Looking back now, I am so glad that I chose to do that. Um, it has just built a bond between me and my kids that would have never been built had I chose to not be present. What a great challenge. I, I appreciate you extending that challenge out to, out to all of us. So thank, thank you so much for, for stepping up and doing that. And what a way to end our time together. Mike, thank you so much for sharing, sharing this time out of your day and sharing your, your thoughts and, and wisdom with all of us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was fun. And that concludes our time, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. It's always appreciated. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you enjoyed the show and are getting value out of it, there are two ways you can support this podcast. One is by hitting the follow option on your favorite listening app. This will make it easier to see all the episodes and receive notifications when a new episode is released. The other is by checking out some of the swag in our store. They make great gifts for the holiday, a birthday, or any reason, and they help spread the word about this great movement. The link to the store is in the show description below. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you in the next episode.